Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Hey, good morning, Mercy family. I am excited to introduce our preacher for us this morning. Our own Pastor Scott Urbanic is going to be bringing God's word to us this morning. Uh, We've talked through as we're continuing in our Colossians series, the word that he has for us. I'm so excited for you to hear it. You know, you guys know how much Pastor Scott feels like just the heartbeat of our church with his love for the Lord and his love for you. Uh, His love for me. I just so encouraged constantly by him and by the word that he has for us today. So I hope you will join me uh, virtually. I don't know if this is weird for you, but you're going to clap in your living room because Pastor Scott is coming to preach the word to us. Pastor Scott, let's do it. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Spence, for the virtual hand clap. I appreciate it. Uh, Mercy Church, it is great to be with you this morning. Um, I am so honored. Anytime I get to preach uh, to our church, it is such an honor for me. Um, As Pastor Spence mentioned, I am a pastor here, and I get the joy of being able to pastor our college ministry uh, and our missions department as well. And I'm just so thankful and excited that you are worshiping with us today. Uh, One of the things I wanted to let you in on that we've been discussing as a staff is that we really believe that this right now is an important, more, an important moment for the church. I think that one of the really important things that COVID-19 is reminding us of is the importance of having a clear understanding of what the church is called to and even more specifically, what each individual Christian is called to. And as a church, we don't want to measure success by our seating capacity on Sunday mornings. We want to measure uh, success by our sending capacity. We want every member to see and understand that their calling is to be sent out into their homes, into their neighborhoods, their city, and, and in the world with the gospel. And if we're going to do that, then every member needs to see that Jesus did not save you so you can occupy a, occupy a seat on Sunday mornings, even though Sunday mornings are awesome, right? No, Christ brought us out of darkness to then send us with the gospel back into that darkness. You know, right now, churches are evaluating and they're seeing right now whether or not they are too weekend focused. And what I mean by that is, are they focusing too much of their energy and time and resources for the Sunday gathering? Uh, and um, because we're headed towards a new normal, with this COVID-19. We're not quite sure what that is, but we're headed towards a new normal. And at Mercy Church, we wanna have great worship experiences on Sundays. Yes, absolutely. But that's not where we want to measure our success. You know, as a college pastor, one of the biggest lies I see uh, with incoming freshmen is believing that a walk with Jesus is boring and generally unexciting. And it leads to them running after the things of the world because oftentimes the world is telling them a better story than the church is. And that's shame on us for that. 
Shame on us. You know, when we look at scripture, we see anything but a boring story, right? Our place in God's story, it's exciting. It's riveting. It's eternally fulfilling. And you don't get the picture of weekend only Christians. No, you get a picture of everyday Christians leveraging all that they have for the sake of God's mission. So today, what we're gonna be doing um, is we're gonna be walking through Colossians chapter one, verses 24 through chapter two, verse five. So if you'll turn with me there now. Uh, and what we're gonna see is that the apostle Paul gives all believers a job description. Okay, and in this section, we're gonna take a look at this job description and see what it means for our lives. Um, so let's remember, let's, let's go back just for a moment before we dive into it. So let's look at what we did last week. So last week, uh, verses 15 through 20, we saw who Jesus is. And then 21 through 23, we saw who we are in Christ in light of who Jesus is. And now in light of who we are in Christ, verses 24 and following, we're gonna see what God has called us to. Uh, but before we get going, uh, let me pray for our time. Uh, Christ, we love you. And Lord, wherever people are in their living rooms, on their phone, whatever it is, God, I pray that you meet us this morning. Lord, help me to deliver your word accurately. And God, when that happens, I know that your word does not return void. So God, I pray that you will be with us this morning and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, so the first thing that Paul talks about in our job description is this. So write this down. We need to be willing to suffer for Jesus. That's in verse 24. We need to be willing to suffer for Jesus. So if you'll read along with me. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So right here, Paul rejoices in his suffering for the sake of other people and for the sake of Christ. Paul rejoices. You know, there's only one explanation for why someone would rejoice in their suffering for their faith, right? Like if you're suffering for your faith, like, like you, the only explanation is that he loves Jesus, right? He loves him. And according to Paul, Jesus is worth suffering for. And man, did he suffer. I mean, he suffered shipwrecks and, and beatings and, and controversies, imprisonments. You know, one time he jumped off of a ship and then he got bit by a snake, right? Uh, he was betrayed by his friends and closest confidants. Like this was a tough life. But I love that he mentioned that his suffering was for their sake. Think about what Paul's suffering did for the Colossian church. It empowered them. His sacrifice for Christ spurred them on. Church, our suffering for Jesus is the same. It will encourage our brothers and sisters around us. Fruit came from Paul's suffering and in his suffering, it led to the faith. And, 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 and when others suffered, it encouraged their brothers and sisters as well because they suffered for Jesus. And then he said he suffered in his flesh because he is, uh, look at this, it says, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, let's admit it, that's kind of a strange second half to the verse, right? Like filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Well, what in the, like, what in the world does that mean? Well, let me start off really quickly by saying what this does not mean. Okay, it does not mean that Christ's atoning work on the cross was somehow deficient. 
That's not what this means because that would actually contradict everything that was just said in verses 15 through 23. No, he's saying that what was lacking in Christ's afflictions was the future suffering of believers who would suffer for the sake of Christ. Paul is telling us that if the church is gonna go forward, if the church is going to advance, it will only happen through suffering. Christ's afflictions were for our salvation, but our afflictions are gonna, become, are gonna happen because of our sharing of Christ. That's how this works. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. If you follow Jesus, you will suffer for his name. You know, Jesus said he, he was sending out the disciples to be like sheep amongst wolves, right? Like, like out to the slaughter. And in Christ, we are in fellowship with him, church, in his suffering. You know, Paul actually marvels at this in Philippians 3, uh, verse 10, and, and he says it well here. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul counted it an honor to suffer for Jesus. And we see this truth actually spelled out a little bit more in Revelation chapter six, which is just a mind-blowing passage where we see that, that Christian suffering is actually part of God's sovereign plan for the salvation of the world. In this text, we see martyred saints asking God, when would he avenge them? When would he bring them justice or bring justice for their martyrdom? And he told them this, uh, an unimaginable thing to hear, I would imagine, but he told them to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters should be complete. Like, what? What we see is that the path, of suf- uh, the, the path to fulfilling the great commission goes through suffering. And Mercy Church, we would be fooling ourselves if we think that we will make any kind of a dent in the darkness of our city or in the darkness of our world without sacrifice and without suffering. Now, listen, I'm not saying we need to have martyrdom complexes or anything like that. No, that's, that's foolish. But what I am saying is that we need to have bold faith. We need to have sacrificial faith. The kind of faith that will not only lead to the gospel advancing, but the kind of faith that will spur on our brothers and sisters in the church. Remember what Paul said, uh, uh, who he was suffering for. It says, for the sake of his body, that is the church. So not only does Paul's sacrifice advance the gospel, it spurs the church on. It spurs the church on. Some of my most proudest moments, you know, and moments that have just really impacted my life have been when I've seen my friends take a stand for Jesus, even though they knew it would cost them. Whether it's sharing the gospel with family members or, you know, I've heard of, of some of my friends who are mothers sharing the gospel with other moms on play dates or, or I've heard of businessmen and women taking a stand for truth when it might alienate them from their, co- from their coworkers. You know, and it's when we do this in front of our believing friends, in front of the members of the church, that it gives us all boldness to continue. It gives us boldness to continue in the mission of God. And if we do that, And we see that in our friends. We see that in our discipleship. When other people live that way, it spurs us on in the middle of our situations as well. And here's the second thing that I think Paul wants to give us as a job description, and that's to make disciples, not converts. And that's to make disciples, not converts. We'll see this in verse uh, 25 through the first part of, of 28. Let me read it for us. Uh, Paul says in verse 25, of which I became a minister 
according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make, how, to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Paul says right here in this section that he is a steward of this ministry. This means that something has been entrusted to him. And what was entrusted to him was the word of God. And his task was to make the word of God fully known. But before you think that this was only a job for professionals like Paul or for, for preachers or ministry leaders, you know, go take a look at 2 Corinthians 5. And that says that we are all ambassadors for Christ. And if we are all, and it says we're all ministers of reconciliation. So if we are all ministers, then logically that means that we all have a ministry. And if we all have a ministry, that means that we have a message. And the ministry is a message and the message is Christ. The message is Jesus. Therefore, if you are a Christian, that means you are a steward. You are a steward of this. And one of the reasons I think that this is important is because Paul is giving us a picture of what our discipleship should look like. Paul said that he was a steward. That's who we all are. We are all stewards. The minute you believe the gospel, you are now a steward of the gospel. This is big. In verse 25, it says that the stewardship that, was, that he was to take on was to make the word of God fully known. The mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. His job wasn't just to evangelize. This is important. His job was not just to evangelize. Yes, did he plant churches? Yes, was he the greatest missionary besides Jesus? Yes, he was. But it, his job was to teach the scriptures. And that's the job of all of our discipleship. It's not enough to get people saved. We need to teach them how to know and how to follow Jesus through God's word. Paul is simply following Christ's call on us in Matthew 28. It's basically the same call, right? Jesus, before he ascended to heaven said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then usually we stop there, but we shouldn't. We gotta keep going. It says teaching them to observe all that he's commanded. And we have to teach people the scriptures. Listen, it's not enough to share the gospel. That's a great start. You know, as an you know, someone who loves to share the gospel, it's a great start, but we have to make disciples. And when you look at that word make, you know, that means that disciples don't just happen. We have to mold them. We have to help craft them. And we do that by teaching the word. And this is why at our church, one of the things that we've been trying to emphasize really well is, is discipleship groups in the middle of our community groups. It's because we want people to know what discipleship looks like and how they can do that with other people. So reach out to Pastor Joey. He would love to talk with you about that. And because I think the idea that Paul's trying to get across here, and I think you know, if you really look at it, you'd agree with me that if we do this, if we give ourselves to this, look out. Look out, because there is almost nothing more dangerous than a disciple who knows and obeys the scriptures and teaches other people how to do the same. Church, we have to go there. This is a hill that we should die on in making disciples. So the question is, is when we make disciples, what do we teach them? 
Well, let's look at that. We are to teach them about this mystery. Now, this mystery isn't the same mystery uh, the way you and I would think about it. The mystery is not, you know, some kind of a Sherlock Holmes story or something like that. No, the mystery is that for thousands of years in the Old Testament, it was pointing to, to, to a Messiah that was to come. It was this mystery that climaxes in Christ. For Israel, some of the plans that they knew in the Old Testament were hidden until Christ. The, this mystery that the Bible is that the Bible is a unified whole. It's one unified story looking and pointing to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. One of the many reasons I'm thankful for Mercy Church is that we try to give you a healthy diet of the scriptures. We try to give you the Old Testament. We try to give you the New Testament, the gospels, the epistles, you know, whatever it is, we want you to feel like you can handle the whole council of God. But because the Bible is a unified whole, this is important. You can't understand the Old Testament without Jesus. Why? Because he fulfills the Old Testament. And you can't fully understand the beauty of Christ without the Old Testament because it points to him. But let's jump back into our passage. Verse 27, it says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of this glorious mystery. Now again, if you don't understand this mystery, this whole unified whole of the story in the Old Testament, it's hard to grasp the full weight of what Paul is saying here. In Genesis, God chose Abraham and made a promise that he would set a nation apart, a nation of Israel. And uh, they would be his people and, and he would be their God. But Israel did something that God didn't really intend. They took it further than God intended. They became ethnocentric, meaning that they, were, they thought they were better than every other nation. You know, it's because they had access to God, so they looked down on other people. But the beauty of the mystery of Christ is that not only did he die for all nations, he chose in his plan of redemption to, to use people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to share the good news of the gospel for the spread of the church. And for most of you, you should rejoice in this. Why? Because you're probably not Jewish, you're probably not ethnically Jewish. Most likely, if you're listening to this, you are a Gentile. And for that, you should worship because we have been saved through Christ and that was God's plan all along. And it brings freedom to our souls. Um, you know, moving on, it says, uh, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Israel used to have and meet with, they used to have to meet with God in a temple. But I want, you to, I want you to understand this. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the day you believed upon Christ, you now have this hope, this hope that is one day to come, that no matter what you're going through right now, one day this sad thing will become untrue because of Christ and you will be with him in glory. And that is amazing. So if, if you're in that space now, trust in him, lean on him. And it's because of this future hope that we see what Romans 5 says. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. No matter what you're going through, you can have confidence in Christ. So we've seen in our job description that we need to be willing to suffer and then we've seen that we should make disciples, not converts. And now the third part of what Paul's uh, job description is this. We need to disciple people into maturity. 
We need to disciple people into maturity. This is important because in the American church, the gospel and its implications on our lives seem to be taught less and less. You know, the longer I'm in college ministry, you know, I'm a college pastor and I see, I just see the aftermath all the time of what I'll call Christless Christianity. And unfortunately, I see freshmen just coming in every year, just burned out by church. But, and by that, I mean that, you know, for, whether it was taught explicitly or implicitly, like, like it was all about appearances, right? It's about earning God's favor. And then they come into, into, into college and they're just, they're just done with God. They're done with religion. They're done with Jesus. And that's because a ministry that's not focused on Christ will lead to spiritual death. Why? Because when people sin, and we all do, you and I sin all the time, you know, we need to know how the gospel speaks to our sin. We need to know how to gospel ourselves. We need to know how to speak the gospel over other people who are struggling. We need to see that the gospel is not just the front door to the Christian house. It's the whole house. The gospel doesn't just let us through the front door of Christianity. It invites us into endless rooms to explore and to marvel at Christ's love for us and especially its implications on our lives. Church, listen, you do not need a book that gives you five steps to happiness. No, you and your disciples need to again and again and again hear about Christ's love for you. We need to frequently hear that in Christ, he's taken away our guilt. He's taken away our shame. He's taken away our fear. All of those things were laid upon him and we don't have to live in them any longer. We need, uh, we need to be done with outward conformity thinking that if we, we can just fake it until we make it and you know what, maybe our people around us won't know and, and maybe I'm tricking God. Believe me, we are not tricking God. He knows all things. He knows all things. Church, we need to be a disciple-making church like this that calls people out of that and into Christ-centered teaching. And this is what's gonna lead people into maturity. You know, this Christ-centered ministry, that's what's gonna lead people to maturation. Paul shows us uh, what this looks like in verse 28. It says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Here we see that Paul explains this to us with the end in mind. Look at that. He explains it to us with the end in mind. The end goal of discipleship is presentation, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Church, you know, what if we took, all took that kind of ownership in our discipleship? How would that change? I think it would change everything, right? You know, it's our job as stewards of this mystery to prepare people for death to prepare people, because we're all gonna get there one day, and what if we are able to present them mature to their savior so that they can enjoy and love him? We, we, let's, let's just see how we get into that. You know, I was gonna marvel a little bit more, but we don't really have time for that. Uh, so, 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 uh, so let's get into that. What we see is that Paul tells us that we are to proclaim, right? We're to proclaim, we are to be heralds of God's truth, but in discipleship, this plays out through warning and through teaching. That's what he says, through warning and through teaching. So we are to warn one another, um, and maybe another word that might be in your Bible is admonish. We are to admonish and to warn each other of potential snares that might entrap us, or when we see our disciples or our friends believing lies uh, that will lead them to 
love their sin more than their savior, we have to warn them. We warn them, hey, you're, you're walking towards destruction. You know, we need to do this in a spirit of grace when we call people out like this, but, but we, listen, I do think in the church, we need, to, we need a little bit more holy confrontation, right? In discipleship, we need to help each other see when we're walking towards destruction. You know, as a friend and a disciple maker, you need to refuse to allow someone to walk toward sin unwarned. And then when that happens, when we warn them, then the next step of discipleship is then we teach. We make the word of God fully known to them, verse 25. We are communicating Christian truth for the purpose of it leading to their wisdom. And what is wisdom? It's just, you know, wisdom is just right use of knowledge, right? It's knowledge applied. It's knowledge that is obeyed. But how can someone use knowledge rightly if they're not taught how? You know, I remember when I was in middle school, I tried to, you know, I think most middle schoolers are just a little, a little crazy for a few years, but, 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 for, but for, that's, uh, that's not, that's my excuse, but whatever. Uh, I was not very wise uh, and I tried to drive my dad's car without knowing how, right? Like, like I had no idea. He had not taught me or showed me how to drive. So of course I almost crashed everywhere I went. Dad, if you're listening to this, I'm really sorry about that, right? Uh, church discipleship is, is, is making God known. It's warning people against sin. It's showing them in the scriptures how Christ is better. If we don't know how to apply knowledge, we will never grow into maturity. And I also remember uh, when I was in college, I had this crazy idea that Christ-centered teaching was too simplistic for me, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but when I was in college, uh, unfortunately, I didn't have many people outside of my peers uh, that were speaking into my life. That was number one mistake. Uh, but but um, so because of this, I church hopped. I church hopped all over the place. And the number one thing that I was looking for in a church was I wanted a church that really went deep. You know, they really dove deep into theology and then it happened, right? Then it happened. I found this teacher, I found this pastor that was teaching for weeks on end in Genesis 6 and he was teaching about the Nephilim, which are these huge giant man angel things and 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 I, and I listen it's it's a it's a wild passage but but and, and it is it's in the scriptures so it is profitable for teaching for for sure but my problem wasn't that I wanted knowledge that wasn't my problem my problem is that I wanted knowledge without Christ I wanted to move on from Christ because I had I'd figured that out already right I I've I'd learned that so let's move on to the deep stuff and what we see here in chapter two, verse three, is that Paul says that moving past Jesus is a mistake. You know, many of you, uh, um, here's what he says. He says, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Many of you are like I was, you know, thinking that now that you've accepted the gospel, you can move on. You know, hear me, please do not do that. Maturity is found through focusing on and drinking richly from the never ending well of Christ. It is drinking richly from this, from this mystery that Paul's explaining here. And if you are thinking that you need to move past Jesus in the gospel into the deep things of God, you're missing it. Jesus, are the, he is the deep things of God. He is everything. He is everything, church. Let's not move past him. Because if we do, we will run towards all sorts of things that will harm us. And then I think another thing is, is if you're wanting to dive deeper, 
but can't seem to, I think the problem might be that you need to make a disciple, right? You, you might need to make a disciple. Why? Because I've never met a disciple maker who struggles to go deep in God's word. Why? Because Christians, uh, new Christians are asking them all sorts of questions like, what is predestination? Why did God send a flood to kill everyone on earth? Uh, what does the Bible say about gay marriage? Is God okay with me being transgender? You know, I'm married and I just became a Christian, but my husband hates God. What do I do? How do I stop looking at porn? God, why does God send people to hell? If God's all powerful, then why did he let Satan and a third of his angels rebel? The questions are endless. Right, you know, like, and, and sometimes, you know, we have no idea how to answer these questions. So we gotta dive deep into this mystery to figure out how we disciple these people. So if you wanna go deep in God's word, make a disciple, because I promise you they got a lot of questions. They got a lot of questions. And as we move into chapter two, um, we'll go a little bit faster through uh, chapter two, verses one through five. But what we see here is that God gives us, or Paul gives us two evidences of maturity. The first one is being knit together in love. And the second is a full assurance and understanding of God's mystery. Uh, Let me read this for you. Uh, uh, Chapter two, starting in verse one. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for those who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged. Being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say that in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul's struggle for this church in Laodicea and for us today is to encourage us to join our hearts together in love and that we would be fully assured in our understanding of Christ. As a church and as disciple makers, we need to understand that that a lack of unity in the church and a lack of assurance in Christ, these are gonna be great threats to the church. These are gonna be great threats and it will be long and hard work to disciple people into maturity. You know, like Colossae, we face our own false teachings. You know, teachings that cause discord amongst brothers and sisters, teaching that delude our disciples with plausible arguments. And there are tons of plausible arguments. And I think that's why Satan deploys these plausible arguments. Why? Because, you know, the word plausible is helpful because we think that, huh, that might be true because Satan wraps up truth with lie. And because if something sounds familiar, but then there's something new and different, huh, well, maybe I should believe that. And that's how, we, that's how Satan gets us. We don't need to, we, we need to cling to the word of God. You know, he's, he's so deceptive. And we have to fight to help our disciples not fall prey to false teaching and to give themselves to unity. And it will be long and hard work and it will be a lifetime worth of work. And you know what we're gonna need for that? We're gonna need his strength. And that leads to the last part of our job description. We need to depend on Jesus in your ministry. You need to depend on Jesus in your ministry. We're gonna go back to verse 29 for this. Paul says, for I toil struggling with all his energy, not Paul's energy, his energy, energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul said that ministry is toilsome, that we would struggle, of course it's hard. Why? Because we're dealing with people. 
I mean, you know how messed up you are. You know all the problems you got. I know all the problems I got. You know, we're all sinners and we're all in process. We all make mistakes and we sin against God. And our disciples will sin against God. They will sin against other people. And they're certainly going to sin against you. And it's because of that that we have to believe that we cannot do this in our own strength. We cannot do this on our own. And if we try to do this on our own, we will think, and we think that everything is up to us, we will crumble under that weight. We will crumble under that. Will we struggle? Yes. But we will need to struggle as Christ supplies us the energy that he powerfully works in us. We need him. We can't do this on our own. We can't do ministry and make disciples without the power of God. Church, as we close today, you just need to remember these things. You need to remember that God's given us a job description through Paul, that we need to be willing to suffer. The gospel will not move forward and disciples will not be matured without sacrifice. We need to make disciples, not converts. We need to make disciples, not converts. We need to disciple these these people into maturity so that we can present them before God as mature. And we need Jesus to supply us with the strength to do it because it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be really hard. You know, Paul's job description, if you pick this up, what you're probably seeing is that in order to do this, it's gonna cost us everything. And thank God that it does because he's the only thing worth having anyways. Let's pray. God, we love you. We give you praise. God, a passage like this, apart from your grace is impossible. God, help us to be willing to suffer for your sake, to make converts, to make disciples, not converts, to disciple them into maturity. And God, what we forget often is that we try to do in our own strength. God, help us, strengthen us, for this task, this glorious, beautiful, dangerous, wild, amazing task that you've given us. Christ, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.